and welcome to M4G Advocacy Media. You're watching the Journey Series podcast. I'm Mark, the co-host of uh, the Journey Series, and uh, I'm a brown man with brown eyes and glasses, and I'm bald. I've got a wine color or burgundy color shirt. I'm not sure. And uh, I've got a painting behind me and the shelf with some knickknacks. Oh, and I've got a black and white beard. <laughs> and I'm Crystal. I have brown hair, glasses, and a blue and white shirt. And I have um, a table behind me with a lamp and a picture. Today we have a uh, guest with us, John Morris who's going to talk to us a bit about his journey and his uh, website and blog and other projects he's got going on. Hi, John. Hi. Hi, Mark and Crystal. So nice to be with you. You too. Nice to see you. Thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure. Um, Happy to be here. Feel free to start wherever you like. I mean, uh, yeah, just oh. go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, no problem. Um, well, hello, everyone. I'm John Morris. Uh, I'm a white man uh, with dark blonde hair. I wear eyeglasses. And uh, today I'm wearing a blue and uh, pink striped uh, polo shirt. Um, really excited to be here with Mark and Crystal. Um, when they reached out, uh, I, I was excited to be able to have the opportunity to share my story. Um, it's one of an acquired disability, one that I acquired after a car accident in 2013. Um, I was 23 years old at the time, but I think that my journey really starts well before the disability. And so I'd like to first start there and come back to the car accident and uh, what has transpired since then in my life. Um, I uh, grew up uh, in a few different states, uh, primarily Pennsylvania, Virginia, and the state of Florida. Um, I went to university in Florida, uh, to Florida State, uh, where I studied history and political science and got a master's uh, degree in history where at that time I focused um, on uh, post-Reconstruction era America and uh, the civil rights movements that were beginning to uh, develop um, really at the, at the conclusion of uh, the Reconstruction period. Um, I focused um, on the work of Booker T. Washington, who was um, a tremendous leader uh, within the Black community, um, and he was particularly interested in education, which is something that um, I've had a passion for. Uh, after uh, finishing my undergraduate degree, I worked at an education nonprofit, um, and uh, after my master's degree, I actually joined Teach for America in St. Louis, um, where I taught uh, 10th grade students world history. And uh, that was um, a tremendous uh, opportunity for me. Um, I loved being in the classroom and working closely with uh, students. I, I also had the fortune to be able to teach um, 
in one of the first years at the at the high school where I taught uh, an integrated classroom where um, students with learning disabilities um, and other challenges were uh, incorporated into the standard pool of uh, students. Um, so they were included with their peers and many of them uh, having one of their first experiences um being uh included uh in the entire student population and so um that was uh that was a, a unique experience for me to be able to participate in um and i loved again teaching but that uh, was an experience that got cut short uh because i had a car accident and uh it was very uh significant um, my car caught fire um, and uh, I sustained burns to 40% of my body um, and uh, embarked on a very long recovery process. Initially, um, I was told that there was potentially some hope of walking again, um, mm -hmm. but that turned out not to be the case. Um, I ended up having three amputations, my right hand and both of my uh, legs in a bilateral uh, fashion below the knee. Um, and uh, thankfully, though, I'm a left-handed person and always have been, so uh, I can still write and mess around uh, with my smartphone and uh, uh, type a little slower than I used to with two hands, but I'm still able to put some words uh, into, into the Word document. So um, you know, I, I obviously after, um, an experience as life altering as that, you know, I certainly didn't expect to become a triple amputee at 23 years old. Um, you know, you have to take stock, I think of your life and where it's going and what opportunities await you. And, and the reality is, is that in terms of living a life of disability, it's something that I had not previously had any experience with. Um, and, you know, within my circle of, of friends and the people that I knew and considered um, to be close to me, there were no um, people with physical disabilities. And, um, you know, apart from my grandparents who were aging, my grandmother who used a wheelchair some of the time, but could still get around um, at that stage of her life. And, um, you know, sitting in a wheelchair and learning how to drive the power wheelchair uh, took some getting used to. Uh, but it also required me to sort of reframe my perspective on my own life. Um, and, you know, as I said before, it's difficult to figure out sort of what opportunities await you in you know the days and weeks following uh, and even months and maybe even years now that i think about it um after such a life-altering circumstance um i didn't initially have very much hope at all um prior to my car accident i had been a very frequent traveler um when i was in grad school i would go away on the weekends to far away places uh, just for a couple of days. Um, uh, and I was told that that probably was not going to be possible for me again, that you know I would never 
be able to have the freedom that I had once possessed, um, that I was going to require assistance and care throughout my life. And when you tell a 23-year-old guy that who has really lived a carefree life up to that point, um, mm. it's pretty shocking and hard to deal with. And um, while I never fell into any deep depression, I was certainly depressed. Um, you know, I couldn't envision what life was going to be like. A lot of the dreams that I had, uh, the pictures that I had formed in my mind of my future life did not involve a wheelchair or a disability. Um, they were entirely independent um, of support from anyone else. Um, but as I came to grapple with the circumstance, um, I had a few sort of light bulbs go off in my mind. And, and the first was that all of us are dependent on another person for something. Um, and that helped me grapple a little bit with my physical circumstance at the time in realizing that, yes, I need this type of support from others, but for my entire life, I've either had the support of my family, friends, uh, the people who um, you know, prepare meals at the restaurant to um, you know, change the sheets in my hotel room bed, who grow the food that I eat. Um, all of this sort of this interconnected world of dependency is really what I recognize that, that we're living in. And that helped me um, sort of recasting my mindset. Uh, but I also had to learn about being disabled. Um, you know, I, I thought that the world was going to be completely inaccessible to me. I had heard of the Americans with Disabilities Act, but I didn't really know much at all about it. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I started... I started to discover those things and learn about the community um, when I started traveling. Um, I was ultimately able to take a, a trip. I went out to see my alma mater, Florida State University, play in the college football national championship game. And that was a really transformative experience for me. Um, if I hadn't taken that trip, I really don't know where I would be today because it inspired me to create a resource for the community, um, which I thought at the time was very small. I mean, I thought, you know, there are only a handful of disabled people in the world. I, I had no idea how expansive the community truly is and how vibrant it is as well. Um, but I started, I started this website um, because I felt that, you know, the information that exists about accessibility was um, not shared widely enough, um, that a lot of the information that I had found in planning that first trip as a wheelchair user was um, either inaccurate or outdated. Um, and I thought that I could bring some value to the community by doing that. Um, yeah. I thought maybe a hundred people would read my website. Um, <laughs> And I started getting emails uh, from people all over the country and then the world 
um, asking about my experiences traveling. And that's when I recognized that um, there was an opportunity for me uh, to really expand the work that I was doing in accessible travel and speak to the needs not only of myself, but of other members of the community. And uh, now more than a million people a year uh, read the website. Um, disabled people, um, we are large in number. Uh, one of the statistics that I ran across fairly early in creating the website was that, you know, more than one in four Americans have a disability. And that's yeah. information that's publicly available, uh, published mm -hmm. by the Centers for Disease Control, but which um, few people actually know. Um, I think sort of I've been living in a non-disabled bubble mm -hmm. um, and not, yeah, not recognizing um, the other members of, of our American family, of our human community, um, despite having, you know, been very interested in concepts like diversity and inclusion and civil rights, um, that is, um, you know, one of the things that I studied at university. Uh, so it was really an awakening for me. And it, it gave me the understanding that, um, you know, the lack of knowledge that I possessed was probably indicative of other non-disabled members of, you know, our, our larger human family, and that there was an opportunity to educate um, people on the disability community and um, to open their eyes in the same way that mine were. And that's really sort of where I find myself now. Um, I'm focused, obviously, uh, primarily on the travel industry, um, but I'm trying to share a message of inclusion um, and recognition. I think uh, one, of the, one of the people that I came across many years ago, um, who is a tremendous advocate in the disability community, is Alice Wong. And she had started a, a project called the Disability Visibility Project. And I think really at the core of it, um, that is the thing that we need. I think if, you know, growing up, disabled people had been more visible in the world and in, in, in the life that I was leading, that I wouldn't have been so ignorant about the size and scope and beauty of the community. Um, and so I think with every trip that I take, I'm you know, adding one more tally um, to that visibility uh, column. Mm -hmm. um, people are seeing me out and about in the world, um, mm -hmm. you know, and that can have, I think, a profound effect. Uh, particularly when it's a young person who sees me or engages with me. And um, for that reason, you know, when I travel, I know that, you know, there are a lot of common things that, that disabled people get asked and jokes that are made about our wheelchairs and things like that. But I try to, I try to embrace that opportunity for interaction every chance that I get. Um, because I think with every hello, um, a conversation can develop. And when I have the opportunity to interact with people and really share my story and my perspective, that can hopefully be a learning opportunity uh, for the other person.
And, uh, you know, that, that is really what I'm passionate about. Obviously travel, travel all the time. I love it. It's, um, it's an opportunity that I never thought that I would be able to have again after my car accident. And I think that that's something that a lot of disabled people think is, is impossible, you know, traveling, enjoying time away from home, um, reconnecting with friends and family, um, and I'm trying to break down the barriers to accessibility that exist in the industry, um, but then also sort of open the door to opportunity for members of the community and readers of my website. That's, uh, that's an amazing journey, John. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's remarkable how... Uh, how oblivious we can be to stuff that goes goes on in the world until it actually affects us. Right. And, you know, you started your conversation and journey uh, on tech. It's lately it, it's so important to now, be codependent on each other, on humanity. But the problem with that has become, and we've done it to ourselves, is that um, other toxic people that realize that you can't do this without me is you know, causes other people to not want to deal with them. And we keep, we we have to be codependent on each other to advance in society. And, you know, and that includes being able to realize that even though we have a disability, it doesn't mean that we're less than and you can treat us the way you have been. So um, I appreciate you bringing that up. Um, as far as like, you know, in the traffic, you, so when you have, I love when people, you know, acquire disability or are able to use those statistics to better themselves and advance society through their business. And you use those statistics in a way that that is helpful to people and uh, helps you be a better person yourself through your business. Well, I think I think one of the the things that I've been fairly successful at is is helping businesses understand the potential that exists in reaching out to and serving people with disabilities. Because, um, you know, when you think, all right, a quarter of the country, twenty five percent of the population has a disability, um, are they equitably represented within my customer base. And if they're not, 
then that's an opportunity to reach out and say, well, how do I attract their business? Um, and, you know, I, I refer to it as the disability dollar um, in the United Kingdom. My friends uh, call it the purple pound. Um, and there is tremendous opportunity for businesses to engage um, with the disability community uh, on a on a business and, and and client relationship, and you know I think that that each of us, of course, our value exists not in our ability um, to transact business with a company. Um, I think that you know our value lies in our humanity and the the rights that you know we're endowed with by our creator um okay. and that you know i i think that you know obviously when you're trying to convince businesses to invest more in accessibility and reach out to this um community um there you know there are two ways to go about it there's the way of saying well it's the right thing to do you must do it you're supposed to do it the law says you should um, and some people are motivated by that, but others uh, need to see opportunity, um, a return on their investment. And so I think it's, it's really, you know, um, you know, I, I think there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a line between those two perspectives. Um, and, you know, you've got to you've got to be able to work on both sides of that line and communicate those messages um, in a way that can be impactful and actually uh, generate action um, on the part of, you know, the people that we want to come into our corner and be advocates with us. Um, and I think that that really is something that has always been important to me is restoring the voice of the community. And even though it's one that I joined, um, you know, fairly well on in my life, this happened, my car accident happened uh, uh, 10 years ago. And so, you know, I've spent, you know, more time in sort of the world of, of uh, non-disabled existence than I have, um, you know, in the time of my disability, but uh, I feel that I've been shaped and transformed much more substantially in these last 10 years than I ever had before in my life. And I think that, you know, I deserve a voice as a disabled person, but so does every person who reads my website and every person with a disability who doesn't read my website. Um, each of us have a unique perspective to share that's shaped by our life experience, um, the difficulties and challenges that we've faced in life, but also the successes and victories that we've won. Um, there is something valuable within each and every one of us. And I think back to something that my dad said um, when I was a kid. And I thought it was pretty novel at the time. I hadn't heard it from anywhere else. And I'm starting now to hear some people with, you know, sort of ideas around this. Obviously, with the Internet, now all of us are storytellers, whether that's to, you know, our, you know, friends and family or to the wider community. 
Um, you know, people who have built a large following can obviously reach more people, but I just, I, what my dad talked about when I was a kid was the, the concept of retirement and what people should do in their retirement after they've lived a, a full life and contributed to the economy through work. How can they then contribute to posterity? Um, and his idea was that sort of in exchange for your retirement, you know, your social security retirement benefits or your pension or something that everyone should write an autobiography, <laughs> share their life story. And while I don't necessarily think that's practical to require it, and mandate it, <laughs> I do think it is important to encourage people to share their stories because I think even among some of my grandparents who have now passed on, mm -hmm. I would love to have one more conversation with them to, you know, ask questions about their life and learn more about, you know, their time on this earth. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, you know, each of us have a unique story to tell. It's worth sharing. It's worth being heard and listening and hearing um, the stories of others. And, you know, I think that that is something that's really compelling to me and that obviously, you know, I'm building a website and writing about travel, but I'm also sharing stories from my experiences on the road, good and bad, profound and comical almost in some <laughs> cases. Um, and I think that there's value in that. I'm starting to write my own story. Um, and I, I love that. I love to have that opportunity. But I also think that, um, you know, it's something, it's an opportunity that everyone should have. And I want, um, I want to hear the stories of others because that allows me to learn from them and from their experience. And then um, you know, to share what's meaningful with others. And I think that that is, that's something that really has always guided me. Um, I took that into the classroom. Um, I told my students that, you know, every time that you respond to a prompt that I've given you as an assignment, it's an opportunity to share a piece of yourself and your own perspective mm -hmm. and the way that you think. And I think that, you know, now in this digital world, there is just a tremendous opportunity for each of us um, to share the perspective that we've developed over the course of our lifetimes. Right. Exactly. We are all here to be teachers, to when someone else is not strong in an area, to be able to show them, you know, look at it from this perspective and, you know, help them see different side of it. And so, you know, just the, you know, you've done many things of uh, being a teacher, you know, doing those travel agency now, which is something you never thought you'd do, but, it's got to be incredibly rewarding. Oh, definitely. Um, you know, I think that travel is certainly a luxury. Um, it, uh, 
we were able to travel longer distances in an hour today than many people a hundred years ago ever traveled in their lifetimes. Mm -hmm. And that, in my view, is a tremendous blessing in the time in which we live that we're afforded such an opportunity to, you know, connect with people, you know, across the world um, to, you know, fly to New York to London overnight, have breakfast the next morning and meet entirely new people. Um, and that I think is tremendous, but oftentimes I feel like, and, you know, not to get into something too controversial, but I feel like we silo ourselves sometimes within our own communities and not reaching out beyond. And I think that that's where really the transfer of knowledge occurs um, is when we, you know, I can tell the same thing over and over again to members of my community and they say, yep, I've heard that before. I still agree with you. Um, But the key is having those opportunities to sort of look beyond um, our area of comfort, our community of comfort, and step out beyond that uh, to have an opportunity to debate, converse, argue with even people who share, um, you know, that interest in in communicating and and working through concepts and ideas. And, um, you know, that's something that travel has afforded me. Um, And I think that it's something that you know, we should all have access to whether our travel is, you know, to a faraway place, to Europe or Africa or South America, or just down the street, maybe to a coffee shop that we've never been to before, um, or a restaurant that we've never eaten at before. The opportunity to engage uh, with people exists everywhere. I've had some of the most incredible conversations with people who I met on public transit (laughs) on the sidewalk who came up to me, you know, for, for just, you know, the most boring reason. Can I, can I, I'm sorry, my phone is dead. May I, (laughs) may I make a phone call? Can I, can I, I see you're charging your, um, your cell phone there. Can I, can I borrow this outlet for a minute? you know, whatever it may be, sparking a conversation, Um, you know, just a wild story. I wrote this on the website, but uh, maybe a month and a half ago, um, I met up on a Tuesday night with a friend of mine at a bar here in Boston, where I live. And uh, we intended to just stay for a couple of drinks. You know, it's a Tuesday night. We've got to be up in the morning on Wednesday. Um, and you know, we're sitting there and a woman comes up to me and says, wow, this is a really awesome device you have. And I think a lot of us have heard that over and over again about our wheelchairs (laughs) and might roll our eyes and be like, get away from me. But I think that this story is demonstrates why you should say hello, because I said hello and engaged in a conversation of hours uh, with a woman and then her friend came to join 
It turned out that they were flight attendants for Lufthansa Airlines, the German flag carrier. And they were staying just down the street, a couple blocks from my apartment building in a hotel here. And they invited me to fly back to Germany with them the next morning. Well, it turned out I didn't have anything on the schedule that couldn't be moved around or that I couldn't work on from the air. So sure enough, the next day I met up with them at the airport, flew to Germany with them on a buddy pass. Um, You know, it was just an incredible, weird, wacky opportunity, but it would never have been possible if my wheelchair hadn't piqued the woman's curiosity. And if I hadn't responded in earnest with a hello. Um, And that I think is, is just something that we need to do more of Mm -hmm. in connecting with people who maybe we don't have much at all in common with Um, a middle-aged flight attendant from Germany. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know what, what did I necessarily have in common with her other than a joy of travel, I guess. And that connected us. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is just, uh, it, it sort of boggles my mind that that happened, that something I never dreamed of occurring, couldn't, couldn't even have imagined happening, occurred uh, and was sparked by a conversation uh, with a complete stranger. And that is something that I try to do every day is to, you know, have a conversation, whether it's long or short, with someone that I've never met before. Um, And, you know, I don't accomplish that every day. I haven't been outside of my apartment today. I don't know that I will. Uh, It's uh, not the best weather here in Boston. (laughs) But, you know, that I think is just a it's a goal that I've set for myself and trying to meet as many new people as possible. And I think from that, um, you know, I had an opportunity to not only engage with that flight attendant, but also all of the others who were on the flight and they learned from my experience traveling with them. And it gave me an opportunity to impart knowledge. Um, But even if it hadn't been a flight attendant, I would have loved to embrace the serendipity that can come about from a conversation with anyone. One time I was in Paris and I met a guy um, and we ended up going to the Louvre together. Um, Mm -hmm. Nothing beyond that, didn't even exchange phone numbers, but I had a wonderful half day with him. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I still remember to this day. And I think that that, that is just sort of an example of the learning that can occur from one another, um, the way that we can impact one another's lives. And um, I just encourage people not to shy away from that. That's amazing that uh, you got to have those opportunities. Um, And, you know, a lot of what you talked about, about, uh, expanding your horizons by traveling, if not around the world, then down the street or 
just uh, some players different to expose yourself to a different um a different perspective um now there's some thankfully some of us are able to take those opportunities but there are a lot of us who other than those people that silo the themselves they're siloed by the bigger systems around us right and i'm wondering um what what do you think we can do to restructure or rebuild those systems that aren't working for us and that are keeping out us out of those experiences and being able to travel to places well you know i think i think one of the things that i view as one of my top priorities and unfortunately it's one of the areas where i haven't been able to achieve any real successes yet in my advocacy is the lack of transportation that exists not in urban communities which is you know i typically when i'm traveling i go to i go to big cities i live in a big city where i have access to um, you know, an accessible subway system, city buses, uh, Uber and Lyft are even wheelchair accessible here in Boston. Um, but people who live with disabilities in rural areas where there is no transportation whatsoever, whether you are disabled or not. Um, and I think back to, you know, after my, after my car accident, I got my first wheelchair. I had no um, no real say in the matter of what I got. I knew nothing about wheelchairs. They said, this will be comfortable for you. And I said, okay, that sounds good. So I got the wheelchair. Yeah, it was, it was fine. I mean, you know, it was a good wheelchair. It had some of the features that I needed, tilt and recline and things like that. Um, it had but, wheels, right? Uh, it had wheels that's what i that's what i needed most of all um but at the time my parents uh who after the car accident i needed support so i had to move back in with them and they live in a rural area where there is no public transportation there are no sidewalks uh around my parents house is acres of trees like you know, very rural area, the mm -hmm. closest city with a public transit system, 30 miles away. Um, and so I understood very early on that, you know, I either need a vehicle of my own or I need to get the heck out of this rural environment in order to have any engagement with the world around me. Um, you know, I'm not saying there's anything bad about, you know, watching the deer and squirrels play no, out there. Absolutely not. Uh, you know, that's lovely and beautiful. But at the end of the day, if you want to go to the movies or to a restaurant or meet up with your friends, you need to have some access to the outside world. And um, so, you know, rural transportation is something that I'm very passionate about solving what the solution specifically is for that. Um, 
I haven't figured out just yet. I think that, you know, one solution that I, I love um, that other countries have embraced um, is a scheme whereby disabled people are afforded an accessible vehicle to meet their needs. Um, that's not something that we have uh, here in the United States beyond uh, veterans who um, were uh, uh, sustained a, a disability uh, during their time of service in the armed forces. Um, and so, you know, if you're like me and you have a, you have a car accident, um, it's sort of up to you to figure out what's next. I mean, things like home modification to, to make it more accessible um, and, you know, transportation, that's on you. Uh, you know, my health insurance policy was like, oh, that's, none of that is covered. You know, we saved your life. We paid your health care bills, which that in and of itself is a tremendous blessing. Um, but I think, you know, I think that at the end of the day, the, the, the two biggest issues facing the disability community are one, health care, because we've got to be able to maintain our health uh, without going into tremendous debt and facing bankruptcy and having this dark cloud hanging over us of debt. Um, and also a means with which to access the community, whether in a big city like this, I don't need a vehicle. I can get around on my wheelchair and in public transit, but I need to have a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. um, or if I live in a rural area, well, I need some way to get to the doctor's office. I, I remember um, I hired a non-emergency medical transportation company oh, gosh. that could come oh, and pick me up. <laughs> you know, they could come and pick me up with an accessible vehicle. Um, but, you know, that round trip journey, 30 miles to the hospital, all day, $400. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, and that is not sustainable. Uh, eventually, I was able to buy a uh, used uh, wheelchair van. Um, and, you know, that obviously helped a lot. It opened my world tremendously. But I, you know, I, th I think, you know, I haven't, I've never written anything about this. It's something that I've been thinking about, but I'll share it here first. So, okay. Um, first here is why did I travel so much initially? Um, it was because I didn't want to come back to an inaccessible environment. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't want to come back to a place where I was going to be trapped um, and where I didn't have the freedom to go out and about. And, you know, granted, I had an opportunity after my car accident that not everyone with a disability will have. Um, and I never forget the tremendous blessing that that was. But the reality is, it still points to that same challenge that all of us are facing. And that is the, the resources and ability to be mobile, whether, you know, that is walking with a, a walker or a rollator or rolling in our wheelchairs um, and the ability to, to have the means to get out of the home. Right. Um, I think those, those, 
those challenges um, are critical. And I don't think that that our leaders are approaching that with the urgency that they need to be. No. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of voices out there, you know, and we're banging the drums and saying this needs to change. Uh, but I think every everything that I see in the news about support for the disability community seems to be focused on cut cutbacks and curtailing that support. And that is shocking and frightening. Exactly. If I can go back to the toxicity of it all and that right there with the, the, you know, corporations and other businesses and, you know, political, whatever it be, you know, um, and gaslighting and all the stuff that they do, you know, uh, and then making us as a disabled community feel bad about who we are, you know, and our ability, our inability to be able to do things, you know. So when, you know, when that happens, then of course there's going to be a breakdown of what we can achieve or what we can be and how we can help humanity succeed in things. <laughs> because it starts at the top. I don't know how many times we've talked about that, but maybe you can touch on that too. Well, I think I think I've encountered there, there's a meme that that goes around and it's sort of the difference between um, equality and inclusion or equality versus equity. And it's sort of uh, people of varying heights trying to look over a fence and they have different sized pedestals that they can stand upon to peer over. And I think that sort of our society's collective understanding of what is necessary um, Yeah actually hasn't reached either of those. Um, <laughs> we don't have equality. We don't have equity. We don't have inclusion. Each of these things is a battle. And that's frustrating. It frustrates me every day. Um, yesterday, uh, yesterday, I was at the Boston Marathon. Um, huge event here in the city of Boston. And I was one of those short people in that meme without a pedestal of any kind. And I had a wall of tall people in front of me. Mm -hmm. And there was a business, um, uh, a hotel that uh, had secured the right to, to, block the sidewalk in front of their business for only their guests. Mm. And, you know, whereas the area where I was right across from the barrier mm. was, you know, five people deep and I'm sitting there looking up high into the sky, holding my phone up in the air, trying <laughs> to see the course. Right. Um, 
I asked to come over to the across the barrier where there were not very many people at all. And they told me, no, they couldn't do that. Um, that it was only for guests. And um, that, you know, they weren't allowed to do that. It was only before I left that I asked who they worked for because I thought, wow, okay, they're following the city ordinance or whatever. You know, they're they're just you know, paid security people, you know, following the rules that they've been told to enforce. It was only after that that I realized all of these people who had denied me the ability to come over and actually see the wheelchair racers, like, come to the finish line, were actually employees of the hotel itself. Yep. And their perspective on what the right thing to do there was wrong. It's not as if there was a line of 200 disabled people in wheelchairs, you know, trying to get in or that there was, you know, a hundred people faking a disability to get in. No, there's a triple amputee sitting in front of you in his power wheelchair and he can't access uh, to see over all the people. And I, you know, I can't press my way through, you know, the people as others could, uh, lest I run over their toes and then be guilty of some crime on my own. Um, and I just think that we need to rethink the way that we as a society as a whole approaches anyone who has some particular uh, impediment to equal access or equal opportunity um, here in the United States. Um, because I think that, you know, a lot of these things can be overcome. Um, you know, if, if something is keeping someone locked in their home, well, how can we as a society come together to solve that challenge and grant them access to the community that they themselves should be a part of. Um, you know, we do this in a lot of, a lot of areas for other communities. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think that, you know, it's time to include disability in the diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, mm -hmm. discussion. And I don't think that, you know, we're there yet. You know, I see a lot of companies in terms of their hiring objectives, like, well, we want to get to 1% of employees with disabilities. Well, that's only, you know, 4% yeah. of what it should be. Um, and there, so, there, yeah, there are definite people, just people in general, and businesses too that are making a concerted effort to actually be inclusive and you know diverse both you know and it's very obvious when the when they're genuinely doing those things and then but you talked in your pre-interview about how sometimes that campaigning of accessibility and inclusion and all that is only being done on a shallow level you know they're only doing it for trending purposes or whatever no talk more about that please 
Yeah, you know, I think I think a lot of the DEI initiatives and you know, not just those that impact the disability community, but many of other um, groups who have for a long time um, faced limited opportunity. Um, you know, we, I think we've been impacted by DEI initiatives that are at the very best surface level initiatives. Um, you know, let's put Let's put a disabled person, a picture of a disabled person on our recruiting and hiring page, but let's toss out their application when we see it come through or judge them on the basis of their disability during the interview process. I mean, I think that, you know, there are many people and, you know, it's, I, I think that, well, let me go back a second. I think that it's not shocking at all that the majority of disabled people um, who are currently employed um, have invisible disabilities, mm -hmm. um, things that they can hide and not claim, at least in the interview and recruiting process, as part of their identity. Whereas, you know, someone like me, a triple amputee who is a burn survivor with scars on his face, uh, I can't ever hide that. Um, it's not it's not possible. And I think that also, um, you know, some other things that I think about is if I were to submit an application to a company right now, well, I can't even hide it in a blind interview because they see my resume. And what is it? Well, right. you know, building a website about accessible travel for disabled people and advising on accessibility within the travel industry, pretty good chance this guy has a disability. Um, and so I think that, you know, the key obviously is trying to remove as much bias from the system as possible. There's never going to be a completely unbiased system, whether that is, you know, in hiring decisions or in, you know, decisions that are made by legislators and government. Um, we are each bringing our own collection of biases, sort of like charms on a bracelet, um, to the, you know, to the areas in which we engage in our professional lives. Uh, the key is, I think, providing people with an opportunity to self-assess their own biases and try to account for those. But I think that many of us, um, and you know, myself included at one time, and, and maybe even still today, I'm sure I haven't rooted out all of the biases that I've formed in my life over time. But what I do invite people to do is to point those out to me. I, I wanna be made aware, um, I'm not hiding uh, I'm, I'm not attempting to be ignorant of, of my own reality and understanding and perspective. Um, I want to be educated and learn from other people. Um, and I want to try to give everyone that I encounter a fair shake. And that's why whether, you know, I'm approached by a stranger in a bar or the homeless person on the street, I'm still going to say hi, no matter who they are. And, 
you know, I may, you know, after the fact say, well, maybe I wish I hadn't done that in this occasion. That took a lot of my time. Okay. But I think, I think when we say I'm going to, I'm going to do the right thing every time and we make a commitment to do that, um, that, you know, we're going to win sometimes, lose other times, but on the whole, we'll be better for it. Um, and I think that that is sort of the perspective that we need to encourage people to take, but that can only happen through learning and a transformation of their assessment of the situations that they encounter. Um, and I think that, you know, at the end of the day, it is a teaching exercise that has to be conducted, but we also need pupils who are willing to receive the education and truly incorporate what they learn into their own lives. Um, you know, it's not about the students sitting in the classroom. It's about maintaining their attention so that the teacher can impart knowledge. And that's something I think, you know, not just DE&I training, but in every interaction that we have with other people, we need to keep their attention in the conversation and not have them zone out on us. Um, and I think we've all been there. Sometimes I'm on the phone with my mom or my sister or my dad. Um, and I'm just like, I'm distracted by something else. And I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then, you know, five minutes have gone by. And I'm like, oh, wait, what did you say? I, I don't, I forgot. Could you go over that again? And that's disrespectful to the people that we're conversing with. Um, and I, I think you know, problematic for us. Um, and so I really try to, to be mindful about the conversations that I'm happen having, um, either as sort of the person on the receiving end, um, or as the person who is sort of leading that conversation. You know, my thought is, how can I maintain this person's attention um, and drive them uh, to take something you know, from what I'm sharing. So that was a good episode we did with John today, Crystal. Yeah. Um, well, it was a bit long though. So what we're going to do is uh, obviously publish part one this week and publish part two next week. So awesome. stay tuned. Okay. Bye. Bye.